Uh, I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I born in Syria. I was born in Hamburg, Germany. I was born in Kong. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was born in Singapore. Guatemala City. I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee. I was born in Mumbai. Mm-hmm. I was born in Vientiane. I was born in England. I was born in Costa Rica. Welcome to Many Roads to Here, bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Today, we hear the voices of Veronica Levitska and Ian Levitsky, who grew up in Ukraine, but dreamed of an easier life away from the shadow of Russia for themselves and for their loved ones. Veronica Levitska's grandfather was a sailor and ship engineer who traveled the world delivering Russian oil. Veronica's mother worked as a nautical maps creator. So to help her keep track of where her grandfather was while he was at sea, she would post a map of the world in their kitchen. Veronica grew up in Sevastopol, the largest city in Crimea on the Black Sea. After a stint in Siberia, the family settled in Kiev, but her vision was much larger than the borders of her country. I heard a lot about different countries from my grandfather, because my grandfather was a captain of a big ship, and he traveled a lot. And we have a big world map in our kitchen, and when he was in uh, in his job, he, he uh, was uh, in this um, journey about uh, half a year or year because uh, he visited uh, many countries and uh, my grandmother all time show me and marked on the map where my grandfather now is in this country in this country in this country he lived in America about three months. And he described this time, described this country, described what the people, and uh, so it was very interesting. And so all the time it was like a country of, uh, I don't know, miracle, something, <laughs> dream, something. Uh, I know. (laughs) I wanted to see it by my eyes. (laughs) During his childhood in Kiev, Ian Levitsky's mother also wanted him to know the world, especially freedom of ideas, and would give him books that opened his eyes to life outside the Soviet regime. Uh, I had some interesting book from my mom. It was a book about dissidents, about real life. My mom gave me these books for just two nights because if somebody will catch us, we, we, we can go to prison. We don't know nothing about real life outside our boards, but we have uh, access to libraries and we read a lot. So I have at home about 500 books. And my favorite uh, books was um, by American writers like Mark Twain like um, Fillmore Cooper, but it has very much knowledge for us about Stalinism, about Gulag, about all this 
crimes, what did Stalin, Lenin, and all of this bunch. So uh, Gorbachev came with his perestroika. So it, it, it was access to information what schools before. Veronica and Ian's journey together began when they met at a community swimming pool during middle school. Veronica didn't pay him much attention. Swimming was her focus. But she made such an impression on him that he returned to the pool a decade later, where she was now an instructor, and he asked her out. Life had been hard in Ukraine for each of their families under communist rule, but they shared the passion for travel and for a better life outside of Ukraine. In the 1980s, Ian and Veronica, now a married couple, took full advantage of Mikhail Gorbachev's efforts to transform the Russian economy and open the country to the outside world. We start to travel. We start to travel because before we, we cannot travel so easy. But when Gorbachev came, we have opportunity to visit some European country, some Middle East country, um, and we did it and we enjoyed it. And we used to go on vacation outside of Ukraine, Egypt, Turkey, Spain, Italy, so it was a good time for us. But freedom came with a price. Gorbachev's effort to open the Soviet Union to the world through glasnost and transparency, known as perestroika, also caused economic turmoil. The Soviet Union crumbled, and when Ukraine declared independence in 1991, Veronica's mother lost her job and started sewing to make money. Ian was able to own his own business, making machines for fitness clubs. But Veronica's swim club collapsed without the support of the communist government. Life was hard again. They tried to raise their son, Stanislav, and cope with the changes. I don't have my work because the many swimming pools over our town were closed. I can't find work for my, my occupation. So I work anywhere, <laughs> anywhere, work like a sailor something, or I work like cashier in uh, somewhere. It was time when we go to other countries, sell uh, in Poland, in Romania, in Lithuania and Turkey sell some little thing like uh, some dishes, uh, some uh, clothes. So we uh, earn some money, go to our country and spend this money for food, for clothes, for paying to our apartment, our utilities. And then when this money Ending, we go another way. When you go along the street and you see retirement person, senior citizen, who was digging in trash can for food, you know, because they worked for government all life and have nothing for retirement. They had nothing to buy milk, bread, whatever. So they have to dig in trash. Things improved in the country as democracy took hold. 
Veronica and Ian were able to restart their careers in the fitness industry in Kyiv. The swim club was modernized, and both returned to work there. It was the beginning of our freedom. It was um, maybe 98 in my swimming pool. It opened, and uh, I go then, and they invite me. They remember me, <laughs> and they invite me to work. They gave us good salary. Better than we have in the Soviet Union, <laughs> such work. <laughs> I was happy because it's my opportunity. It's my life. It's my uh, occupation. Lots of embassy people came to, to train in the squad because it was good quality. It was a good level of uh, coaches and trusters services as well. They introduced Stanislav to the joy of athletics and physical fitness. When he was 10 years old, he started to train his friends. He showed them how to do some simple exercise for kids. No, no, not with free ways, but some, some physical exercise for kids. So it was something like, wow. My son went to boxing school by himself. I didn't show him anything. I didn't push him. He, he did his own decision. And the coach in this school said to him, I know your class name. Is your father did boxing as well? It was the same coach who was coaching me when I was the same age, but different part of city. Yeah. But even as Ian and Veronica and their families enjoyed a free life in the independent Ukraine, they had their eye on the future. After the death of her husband, Ian's mother remarried. She moved to the U.S. in 1995 and told them she could be their sponsor if they ever wanted to come too. They now had the opportunity to do something they had always dreamed of, leave Ukraine and live an easier life elsewhere. They filled out the paperwork to emigrate to the U.S. and waited for approval. During this time, Ukraine was thrown once again into turmoil as protests broke out to oust a Russian loyalist leader. Vladimir Putin invaded Crimea in 2014. As Russia continued to make life difficult in Ukraine, Ian Veronica finally got good news. In 2018, they received approval to emigrate to the U.S. By this time, their son had built his own life in a democratic Ukraine. He was married with children and was a professional powerlifter. He told them, he was staying. The goodbye was hard, but they looked ahead to life in America and all it would bring. They flew to Connecticut, settling in Milford, a coastal town where they could walk the beach and swim in the Long Island Sound. All my life, if you want to do something and your thoughts, your moving against government, you're going to be punished, you're going to be or killed. It was um, 2017. We came in October. We were happy. We were full of um, new wishes. 
Okay, we understood we start to new life, new opportunities, and then new countries, new societies. We like getting younger when we came here. It's like new energy, new life. It was no any regrets of uh, for me, for example, for moving from Ukraine. No any draw of regrets. Nothing. I was happy. And I know this is a good way, this is a good opportunity. I am lucky to move to States. While they weren't able to get jobs in the fitness industry here in the U.S. as they had hoped, they settled into building a new life. They took English lessons, joined a Ukrainian church, and found jobs at a factory through their new friends. In my country, I became uh, feeling like uh, retired. Maybe next time I will be retired. But when I uh, came to the U.S., I start like a new life, new job, and I feeling like a young woman. <laughs> it's a new country, new job, and many, many years uh, for working and uh, get a salary and uh, live like a young woman. In America, you can work whatever you, you feel like. In uh, our past, uh, if you became over 60, you have to go to, to retire. And then, bad news from home. Putin was threatening to invade Ukraine. I was reading news. I was telling my relatives it's going to be war. So if you can move out. But uh, they decided to be in Kiev, in Ukraine. You have to have some skills to draw all and to move fast. Or you have to have some uh, financial support. I think uh, many people in my country uh, did not understand what happened and how long it will be and how it uh, can be. How it can impact on each of them? Uh, they didn't believe it will be like big war. Nobody was thinking Russians will kill Nobody was thinking about it because millions of people was growing up in propaganda about brotherhood, Russian-Ukraine, brotherhood countries. It's like brothers and sisters. It's like two sisters. It's like, you know, we are together. We are friends. We are brothers. We are families. On February 24th, 2022, Russian tanks headed to Kyiv in an escalation of the war that had begun in Crimea. When the Soviet Union controlled Ukraine, Ian had served in the military, but had avoided the front lines in what he felt was the senseless war with Afghanistan. His son Stanislav, however, was eager to defend a free Ukraine. Not my son, not his schoolmates. Never served. And when war started, they said, I feel proud of him. And uh, I told him, look, you the one in our family, who had a real fight with the Russians, your decision to defend country and city, this is a heroic decision. The other people would leave country. The other people wouldn't go 
but you decided to fight and uh, I'm proud of you. Thank you to be a hero for us. And now he's in very rough situation, far from home, with different kind of people, different kind of age, and uh, it's war, people killing people. Some friend who died on his hand, it's too heavy, it's too heavy, heavy experience. And we were thinking about ourselves, maybe he will have same stuff like, you know, suffering and how to help him and what, what's going on. So we have to put it aside and to think positive and to wish him to be good, to recover, to be healthy, to return home, home safe and, uh, and good for his kids. And usually when we talk to him, we keep his mind up and he encourage him to be careful, to be safe. Watch out, think about kids, and uh, don't remember, we love you, we proud Veronica and Ian struggled to sleep, to concentrate on work, to eat, as Putin's army blew up towns, theaters, shopping centers. In Milford, their Russian friends were also aghast. The couple did what they could for their son and family and friends still in Ukraine, sending money and supplies, including one very important package, a powder that could stop bleeding. That powder saved Stanislav's friend when he was hit in combat. Stanislav was also injured in battle, his body pierced in several places by shrapnel, much of which still remains in his body. As he continues to work toward recovery, Ian and Veronica are seeking better medical care for Stanislav in the Ukraine or here in the U.S. He has some issue with memories. And what we are afraid of, he has some... Uh, post-traumatic syndrome, I feel hopeless because I cannot help him. And uh, I feel very pity about what he's feeling right now. I understood what kind of pain he has. And uh, I would like to help. And uh, I put all my efforts to start to search something or somebody to, to find good medical facility over there, you know, to do something. So I put my efforts, my energy in that direction. Lots of leaves will be not lost, but you cannot change history, right? So it's history right now. If you're looking forward, we will fight and we will win. And uh, this war will change our Ukrainian society. It's for good. We are a Russian-speaking family. We speak Russian from Charles. We learned Ukrainian fourth grade in school only. Now it's changed. All our circle of um, relationship was speaking Russian. Now they turn to speak Ukrainian against Russia. I don't know how to explain. It's, it's illness of communism. It's totalitarianism. I hope the war will uh, ending in short time, but I don't know if how it will be. I hope this 
help from Western countries for our fighting throughout all uh, Russian army from our land. I wish my country recovering and all our people get peaceful life and uh, recovering all our heroes and um, to have treatment and uh, recovering for these people, both for civil and for military people, because too many civil people was killed and was injured. I want build the new towns, the new villages with help from other country. And it will be a new country. It will be a better country than we have before. We will be free. Ukraine will be free. It will be a democratic country with uh, uh, like model Western democratic system in our country. And we never be uh, under Russian control. So we will be free. Many Roads to Here is a production of The Immigrant Story, a nonprofit based in Portland, Oregon. This episode was produced by Fran Silverman. Our audio editing was done by Greg Palmer. The original interview was conducted by Fran Silverman at the New Haven Public Library, which graciously provided us space. A special thanks to Linda Sorensen and Nancy A. Herman, creators of Words from the Front, a live story based on the collection of text Facebook messages and emails between U.S., Ukrainian, and Russian families. Ian and Veronica helped translate the messages, and that is where we learned of their story. Our executive producer is the ever-hopeful Sankaraman. This episode is made possible by a generous contribution from the Zydell Family Foundation. For more stories, visit theimmigrantstory.org backslash many roads. Listen live at Portland Radio Project or stream us wherever you get your podcasts.